So before we get into our reading from Jonah, I want to give some background. Both our gospel reading today and the reading from Jonah end with a question from God, a question about God's grace. And as we're going to see, Jonah's not a big fan of God's grace, at least not when it applies to his enemies. So the background is that God sends Jonah into the city of Nineveh, huge city. Jonah is from Israel. And Nineveh is the capital of Jonah's enemies. It's the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which at one point comes in and destroys the northern kingdom of Israel. So Nineveh is the city of Jonah's enemies. It's the place that he hates, and with good reason. And other accounts of Nineveh outside of the book of Jonah tell of its brutal nature. And God wants to send Jonah into this enemy territory to tell the people to repent, to change their ways so God can show them grace. If we were told to go into enemy territory, I think we'd probably respond the same as Jonah. Jonah receives that call, and he heads in the opposite direction. Then he goes through all kinds of trials and tribulations, ends up back on the road heading to Nineveh, and he walks about a third of the way into the city, and he delivers a one-sentence sermon, the size of a sermon that some of you can only dream of. So he yells out, 40 days more, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And then he's done, and he walks away. And Jonah's sermon turns out to be the most successful one in all of history. The people actually respond, and the word spreads, and they change their ways, and they repent. And so you'd think Jonah, this most successful prophet of all time, would celebrate. But does Jonah celebrate? No. He doesn't want his enemies, the people he thinks don't deserve God's grace, he doesn't want them to experience God's grace. They don't deserve it. And what we'll hear in our reading today is that Jonah grumbles and complains to God about God's grace. What we get today is the very end of the book of Jonah. That's how it ends. And we don't notice God convinced Jonah that God was right to extend grace even to his enemies. I would guess he doesn't. But maybe the point isn't, is Jonah convinced, but are we? The book of Jonah ends with God's question, should I not be concerned about all these people in Nineveh who don't know their right hand from the left, who are a little confused, a little lost? Should I not be concerned about them? And I think it brings up the question, do we set limits on who we think should receive God's grace? So let's hear a reading from Jonah. I'd like to invite Fred up to read that. The first reading is from the book of the prophet Jonah, chapter 3, verse 10 through chapter 4, verse 11. When God saw what the people of Nineveh did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush 
and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, Yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals. The word of the Lord. Today's psalm is Psalm 145, verse 1 through 8, and we'll, we'll pray it responsibly. I will exalt you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. There is no end in your greatness. I will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and of all your marvelous works. They shall publish the remembrance of your great goodness, and they shall sing joyfully of your righteousness. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 20th chapter. Jesus said to the disciples, The kingdom of heaven, and remember, kingdom of heaven is not like far, some far-off distant future. It's kingdom of God. It's Matthew's way of saying that. So it's about the way of God. So the kingdom of heaven, or the way of God, is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into the vineyard. When he went out about 9 o'clock, he saw others standing idly in the marketplace, and he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon, about 3 o'clock, he did the same. And about 5 o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one's hired us. So he said to them, You also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last 
the same as I give to you? Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. We read that the way of God is like this landowner. It's a way that we are brought into today. It's a different kind of reality we're a part of than the reality of this world. A different kind of economy than what the workers in the vineyard expect. Maybe than what we expect. I remember many years ago being in PE class. They call that PE now, I believe, gym class, if you're not sure what PE is. And one of the dreaded words I would hear is the gym teacher saying, today we're going to have two captains and we're going to pick teams. And each one would take turns until everyone in the class was chosen. And I found it extremely unnerving, those horrible moments of uncertainty, wondering, am I going to be picked toward the beginning or am I going to be picked at the end? And I don't remember the outcome the numerous times that happened, but I do remember that fear and uncertainty. Will people think I'm worth picking? Will they want me on their team or not? Can anyone relate? Or maybe people knew you were really athletic and would pick you first. Or maybe you got to be team captain and do the picking. Either way, I think it captures just a fraction of what the workers in Jesus' parable must have experienced. They all arrived to stand in the marketplace on the street corner hoping to get work for the day. And this kind of thing still happens in our world. It even happens in some parts of the U.S. Someone told me once that in another state, they saw it happening at Home Depot. Workers go out. They've not been able to find a steady income, not for lack of trying, but they are desperate for work. So they stand in the marketplace or on the corner and hope that a farmer or business owner will hire them to work for the day so that they're able to bring home money and support for their family for that day. As a training last year, and we went through this workers in the vineyard parable, and we were assigned different roles, and I got assigned the one of the one working at the very end of the day, not getting hired till then. And I had to imagine standing and waiting and waiting and waiting, wondering, am I gonna get work today? Will I be able to take money home to feed my family? And quite frankly, if you had to hire laborers and you saw me stranding on the corner along with a six-foot-tall, sturdy guy, who would you pick to work on your land all day? I'd pick him. I wouldn't pick me. And at Jesus' time and in parts of the world still today, if you're healthy and strong, you've been picked for work before. You've had the resources to start out strong, and you have a better chance of being picked the next day and the next. But if you started out weak and vulnerable, you have a better chance of staying weak and vulnerable. So at that training, I had to imagine that uncertainty. And in doing that, I realized that I have never known the uncertainty of not knowing if I would have enough food for a day. I've never had to live through the uncertainty of not knowing, am I going to have work to feed my family? Bishop Bill Tash, the bishop of our synod, we were at a conference earlier this week, and he preached on this passage. And he noted that for the laborers in the vineyard, wages for one day was enough to feed your family for just one day. It was just enough for a day. Now we read that the, first land, the landowner chooses 
to first pay the ones who worked the least, who worked last. And he gives them the full day's wage. So he extends this extreme grace to them and their families. They are going to have enough to eat for that day. Then he begins to pay those who worked more and more and more, and they all get the same as well. And instead of being grateful that they have the security of work for a day, instead of being grateful that they are receiving a fair wage, they're receiving what they agreed to, they are angry at the generosity of the landowner. They get what they were promised, but they cry out, it's not fair, that those others didn't deserve it. Now, Debbie Thomas is somebody who writes a blog, and she once wrote about some research that was done on fairness, and it was done with monkeys. And so they were trying to figure out, where does fairness come from? Is it learned? Is it kind of in us, this idea of fairness? So what they did is they had two monkeys, a first monkey and a second monkey, and the monkeys would have to turn over stones or small rocks, and when they did, their handler would give them a piece of cucumber. Now, monkeys love cucumbers, so it works out really well. And the arrangement went on for a while, and they were both very happy. Then uh, they decided to switch things up. So the handler gave the first monkey a cucumber in exchange for the rock, and then went to the second monkey and gave a grape instead. I guess in the monkey world, grapes are like fine wine or really good chocolate. And so when the first monkey saw the second monkey get a grape, they were like, all right. They perked up, and they immediately handed over the rock, and the handler gave them a cucumber instead. And to make matters worse, went to the second monkey and gave them a grape for doing nothing. And that first monkey went crazy, threw their cucumber at the handler, threw their rocks around, and started making angry gestures at the grape-eating monkey. So when we hear this, does it sound like anyone you know? Or maybe it might be sound like us at times? These results have been repeated in similar experiments, and they found that infants as young as nine months old will react quite strongly with perceived unfairness. When we get more than what we deserve, we're good with that. But when other people get more than what we think they deserve, not so good. Debbie Thomas relates this to this passage this week, to the story of Jonah, about God's grace extended to those who don't deserve it, and the story of landowners. And she said, if we really take these stories seriously, it might make us want to throw a few cucumbers at God. At the beginning of the parable, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven, the way of God, is like this landowner in the story who is not so concerned about what people deserve, but is concerned about what people need. Bishop Iltash shared that for many of us, especially here in the U.S., having enough is never enough. We don't want just enough for one day, but for more than one day, for more than one week. We see what's lacking and keep wanting more. But then he said that for many, many others in the world, to have enough is amazing because so many do not have enough. It invites us to ask, do we focus so much on what's fair, on what we think is deserved, that we miss God's gracious compassion, living into that compassion. One more word from Debbie Thomas. She wrote that all the landowner cares about is that every last person in the marketplace finds a spot in the vineyard, that every last person finds a place, the early bird and the latecomer, the able-bodied and the infirm, the young and the old, the popular 
and the forgotten. When the workday is over, what concerns the landowner is not who deserves what. All he cares about is that every worker ends the day with dignity, the security, the capacity to go home and feed a family, a reliable sense of accomplishment, belonging, and dignity. Do we step into that compassion and grace, or do we keep holding on to these systems of deserved and undeserved? This same grace that all the laborers receive, the same grace that is shown to the people of Nineveh, Jesus extends this same grace to every single one of us. When others might think that we should get punished rather than forgiven, or when we feel most unworthy of God's grace, we remember Jonah's words about our God. Now Jonah speaks them in anger, but might we hear these same words with joy and with hope? Jonah said to God, God, we know you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. May this God guide our lives and how we live with all God's laborers in this world. And today, why don't we end the same way our Gospels do, with the questions left hanging in the air. How will we answer these questions with our lives? Here they are. Is it right for us to be angry? Are we envious because God is generous? Or will we be shaped by another way, by Jesus' way?